0: Just be with us today as we speak from the scriptures, the Bible. Would you speak to us? Would you help us focus on something that you want to deal with in our lives to grow us and shape us and mature us um, more and more into your image? um, That we press hard after you as your trainees in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 6. We did that last week. Were most of you here last week? The moons weren't. I think it was actually a good Sunday. Uh, the feedback I, I had was good. But there felt I felt like there's one area I didn't finish I'd like to finish off. But I'm going to read the whole text again to give us the context. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. That idea of what you're looking at. If you're looking at the things of God, if you're looking at God, if you're seeing it lights up everything that you are. I'll come back to that in a moment. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, there's a lot of therefores in this text. There's a lot of building upon, because of this, this. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. And... The thing we touched on last week, which I think is important, and this is all under this banner of what it means for us to live as disciples, to grow as disciples, to push into the things of God, so that we truly represent God well, and we grow like that. And we, 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 we spoke about anxiety, and as I talk to people, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to people in the church, if I'm talking to people in the world, I'm talking to people in other churches, there's anxiety everywhere about all sorts of things. Um, And we said this, and I I think it's a point I want to reiterate. We get anxious when we stop looking at what God is doing in the world and see His activity all around us. We become so inward-looking and worried about us that we forget to look. And Jesus' challenge, He says, look at the birds of the air. Look. He's not calling us birds of the air. But we need to look. What is He asking us to look at? He's asking us to look at His kingdom rule authority being manifest in our world every day all around us. And when we stop seeing, when we stop looking for the activity and the action of God in our world and all around us, we actually begin to forget that God is in control. And when we think God is not in control, we become anxious because someone's got to be in control if it's not God, it has to be your boss or you or someone, the government or somebody. And then we become anxious and we stockpile rifles and ammunition and hand grenades just in case the government going to do this. Or we become very wary of our boss and therefore we work 40 hours a day. You no know, eight days a week, said the Beatles. Because we don't want to upset the boss because we we're anxious for our jobs. We've lost sight that God Is in control. And he provides. It doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't work hard. It means we live free of anxiety. Because we are aware of the activity of God. All around us. And that he's in control. That Psalm 145. It's worth meditating on. It is so rich in the understanding that God is in charge. God rules. God reigns. His kingdom endures forever, but it's a kingdom rich in mercy and grace and kindness and generosity. That's what that psalm's about. It's a beautiful psalm, and I want us to live in a place where we break free of anxiety. Anxiety causes wrinkles, ulcers, heart attacks, panic attacks, sleepless nights. Can't eat well, or you eat too much. There's also things that happen when anxiety sets in and the challenge from jesus and this is jesus speaking we don't have to be anxious but two things if you are serving money and if you forget to look you had better be anxious because there's nothing else to do but be anxious so we can so anxiety can be this thing that's kind of this big negative and it ultimately it is but it can also be a useful tool as a litmus test to see where we are standing in our, with God. If we find anxiety beginning to creep in, I think that's a nudge to us to begin to say, what's, what's, what's happening here? Have I forgot forgotten to look at the activity and the action of God around me? Have I put my allegiance somewhere else? Is that okay? I think that's a really important thing. The other word that he... Jesus uses is consider the lilies of the field. It's consider. So we need to look at the action and the activity of God around us. But we also then need to ponder it, consider. It's one thing to look and see. It's another thing to consider. So I think those two are, are playing together. Sometimes we see things and we see it, but we don't register. And it goes past us. But when we see and then we consider... We have the opportunity for that to translate into something healthy in our lives and cause change and, and adjustment. I hazard a guess all of us would love to f- be free of anxiety. Don't you think so? But almost every one of you here, including me, with us, have anxiety. You know? We came back to those questions last week, and I've added one that Heidi spoke about years ago when we were in the, in the school. We said at the end of the day, these are the questions we have to ask. Is God able to do what he said he would do? Not only that, is God willing to do what he said he can do? Is God good and loving? And is he trustworthy? That if he says he will do it and you know that he can do it, that he will do it. He's trustworthy to fulfill his word. I think those are big questions that we have to answer. And I think this text is dealing with those things where Jesus is saying, "I am able, I am willing, I am trustworthy." The old, when we read the Old Testament, it's the sound. God is trustworthy. So yesterday we were, we were out with the Thornbergs, and um, we were drinking a, a, a lot of flavored grape juice. You know. um, but Heidi asked me a question. What is, what is, the, what is the story? What, you know, I think she did it at a birthday or something. What is the story that Jesus is speaking to you about right now? And I, I realize it's this, and I've shared it once, but I, I want to speak about it again. again. When you read Matthew 5, the first verse, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, so he's sitting there, he's looking at the crowds, he's talking to his disciples, all these crowds around there, and he's basically saying, See those over there, the poor in spirit, the poor, the broken, the messed up, the trodden, those people. This is the kingdom of heaven. They can enter in. It's easy. Remember, he wasn't saying that you need to attain poverty of spirit as a spiritual discipline. Otherwise, salvation would be by works. He's just saying, blessed are the the poor in spirit. In Luke, he actually says, blessed are the poor. So... You you think the crowds are listening to this. This is different than anything they've ever heard before. That end of the chapter 10, this this man teaches with authority. He's teaching it totally different. Because Jesus is teaching the way of the kingdom of God. That's different from the way of the kingdom of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're on. So now jump ahead and we get into chapter 8. I didn't give you this. I decided to add this. Don't worry about it. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Now just think about this. When Jesus had been speaking on the mount, the mountain, whatever however big it was, his disciples were the crowds, where would the leper have been? On the outskirts? He would have been outside the ring of, of acceptability. Was that right? Because he was a leper. He was unclean. He wouldn't be allowed in. Untouchable. Unclean. Out there. So, but he would have heard Jesus speaking. And he hears these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The spat upon the. All the whatever. And he's saying. I'm one of those. He just says the kingdom of God is available to you. The word that Jesus had been speaking and John the Baptist speaking is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word at hand in its Greek it means it's happened and it's happening. It's at hand, it's here. And he's saying, well, I can enter into this kingdom. Jesus saying, I can enter in. Jesus had been doing some healing, so he knew Jesus is able to do healings. Isn't that right? And suddenly he comes down from the mountain and the unclean nobody that nobody wants to talk to or touch or interact with that has to live outside of town in the dirt pile, he's at the very center where Jesus is. Have you thought about it like that? He's he's made his way to the very Jesus and he falls on his knees. What is his question to Jesus? Lord, if you Will, you can make me clean. NIV says, if you are willing. He knew Jesus was able, because he had, Jesus had been healing all around. But he was saying, Jesus, you spoke this word, that the kingdom of God, the rule of God is available, and I can enter in. I know you're able. Here I am. I want, I'm t- are you willing? What's Jesus' response? Get away from me, you dirty leper. Don't you know your place? Don't you know you're not meant to be in the inner circle? Wear your proper clothes. You smell. you're dirty. Your sores are leaking. Where's that finger? Has it fallen off? Can, you can imagine. What does Jesus say? "I will." And I, "I'm willing. Be clean." See, it's a beautiful demonstration of this whole idea of Jesus speaking about a kingdom life in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, unpacking it. And this guy says, OK, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to believe you that you are able and you are willing. Let's let's go. Bam, guys healed. And all the people. Whoa. But have you thought we think, oh, he was healed. Do you know what that means to a leper? have a cough I'm healed I'm not coughing anymore no he's a leper he's got parts missing he's got skin falling off he's got sores all sorts of things are happening and even if the word doesn't mean leopard, it means radical skin disease he was still in a bad shape he was healed what did that mean they were all gone he was whole I mean that must have been whoa Because God is able, or Jesus is able, and He's willing. And because He does it, He is trustworthy. He fulfills what He says He will do. Now, put that into the text where we're talking about anxiety. If God says, if I clothe and look after the birds of the air and feed them and, and the grass of the field and the flowers, how much more am I going to look after you who are created in the image and the likeness of my Father in heaven? You can trust me. I am able. I am willing to actually do that and look after you. The trouble is to actually see it worked out. It's not just a mental ascent. It's falling at his knees like the leper did and said, are you willing? I am willing. Here, go for it. We don't make that crossover point where we engage Jesus at the very, at his very feet of saying, yes, here I am. I trust you. I'm going to test what you said. Is that right? Would you this week somehow risk it and step out? John Ortberg's wonderful book is, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to trust, if you want to see Jesus provide, and you want to see Jesus do radical, amazing, beautiful things, you've got to get out of the boat. You have to put yourself where he's able to do that. The context that Jesus usually has money, but I think it applies a lot. But if you're hoarding your money, and you never have to trust him to provide while well, he doesn't have to provide. Is that right? How are you going to test whether he can provide? by leaving the hoard in the bank and saying, "God, I have nothing?" No, that doesn't work." You'll say, "What about the bank account?? It's when you become generous in the spirit of God and you give. and maybe sometimes God and you give be just a little beyond. And now you have to put yourself in the place where are you willing? I hope, it, I hope it's just something's clicking here. I want it to click for me. Because it's a wonderful truth. It's another thing to actually step it out into the practice. Because imagine, just going back to the leper fella. Imagine that guy making his way through the crowds. Now, we don't know how big that crowd was. He had to go on a hill to talk to them. Well, let's put it at 500. Is that a reasonable? I'm sure there were more, but he still had to make his way through 500 people to get to the center. I wonder how many people were just swatting him and stepping out of the way saying, who are you? Why are you here? Get back. But he forced his way through. You know, the the lady that had the issue of blood. She forced her way through the crowd so she could grab the hem of his garment. I don't know. Maybe she crawled. Underneath the people's, I don't know, to get the hem of his garment. The, the, the guy who was sick, a paralytic, his friends tore up a roof. You see, we think that God just does his things. But he's asking us to step out and, do, and be radical. So that we, we, we engage his activity. We sometimes have to do things. It's not that God's not gracious. He's longing, if you will seek me with all your heart, I will be found. So I'm putting it out here to to us. Can we test him? Can we do something where if he doesn't come through, it's like we sunk a little bit? Or at least one foot sinks in the water? Will we trust him? In verse 32, Jesus says this. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom. What's, what's Jesus saying? He's making a comparison there. He's making a comparison between God's people, the Jews, the Israelites at that point, and everybody else that's outside of that group. And that, this is the group that God's promises had been given to, the covenant had been given to, Jesus had come to, etc., etc. And he's saying, you guys should get this. You, you have Psalm 145. You know, you have Daniel 7. You have all these scriptures out of the Exodus, the, the rule of God is fought. You, you understand this. You should be walking in this. But what you're doing is you're acting like the people that are not of God. You are running after and seeking after all these worldly things. It's what the world does because they have no other option. But you shouldn't be doing that because you know me. I have been faithful for thousands of years. I've upheld the covenant. I've looked after you. I took you out of the, through the waters. I've looked after you in the wilderness. I've done all these things. But you're acting like those. They're running, they're seeking after this clothing and food and housing. And I know you need that. But don't run after it. Seek first the kingdom. See the play on words? They seeking that. This is what you should be seeking. So he's not saying you shouldn't be seeking. He's saying seek the right thing. We need to get some of those priorities right. I think. I think God wants us to have homes and clothing, I hope. Otherwise, the king with emperors with no clothes it would be terrible. He wants us to have clothes. He wants us to eat and have things to drink and do vacations. He wants all of that. It's not that he doesn't want that for us, but he wants us first to make sure that we see him as the, the author and the perfecter and the provider of all those things rather than our own what we've done. So, remember last week we read from Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you come to the place where you have all these things, don't say to yourself, look at what I have done. Aren't I how wonderful? No. Thank the Lord that gave you the ability to actually do those things. Let's put God in the right place. I think that's the challenge that we, we have. I'm speaking of a card. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Because we sing it in songs, as if we quote it, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things will be added. What... Does it mean to actually seek the kingdom of God? The kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of God? I mean, I suppose that's a good question too. We're looking for where God is exercising his rule and his reign and his activity and his action in our world and around us. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the activity and the wonder and the beauty of God. Look at where God is at work. Ask God to be active and working in your life and things around you. Do you know that you have a kingdom? Each one of us has a kingdom. There are at least three kingdoms operating around us all the time. The kingdom of God. Where's the kingdom of God? It's Racha. Jesus it's at hand. It's Racha. Just repent, you can enter in. There's a kingdom of darkness. Where's the kingdom of darkness? He's also just right here. And the other kingdom is your kingdom. Where's your kingdom? It's also right here. Because we each have an area where we exercise dominion. Isn't that right? I mean, that's part of what it means to be human. Exercise dominion. So we have a kingdom. Where we have say and we have sway. And our activity counts for everything. So when we seek first the kingdom of God, it's not saying do away with your kingdom because we are a kingdom of priests unto our God. But there is a kingdom. We are asking for the kingdom of God to invade our kingdom, for those priorities to become our priorities, that way of thinking to become our way of thinking. So when you read, for example, in Colossians chapter three, where it says in the light of the great resurrection things, put to death certain things and take off other things. You know, put to death, sexual immorality, all that stuff. Take off hatred and, and then put on. So we can be shaped. We are shaped by two kingdoms. And this one we must put to death. Take off. Put on. Embrace. Pull in. Turn that way. Not that way. That make sense? That's, the kingdom of God is the rule, the reign. Where God is act, active and doing action and doing... Wonderful things, we seek that activity in our lives. And that activity is I mean at, the, at least the one major activity of the kingdom of God is love. Isn't it? What's the greatest command, which that must obviously be something in the kingdom of God, if Jesus gives an answer, you gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. It makes a good like a rap song. But in that, in that love is graciousness and kindness and generosity and mercy. And hospitality. Things like that. It's the language, the activity of the kingdom of God. And we need to be, our eyes need to be open to see those activities happening all around us. That's what we're looking for. They're looking for the workings of God. And if you would repent. And remember, we, we really have to get that word right. What that word means. It's really important. It's not, oh, I got called out. It's not repentance. It's, as one person said, you've got to think about the way that you think. You've got to think about the way that you've been thinking about things. And change that. Because generally we think about things in a worldly, humanistic, selfish way. We have to change our way of thinking. We have to think about what God's way of things. So you repent. The kingdom of God is right here. For now. And in the future. This will always be this war. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of self, kingdom of God. All activity happening. Get that right, and the other things will be added. They'll fall into place. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. What's what's Jesus saying there? Guys, live today. Unpack today. Live it to the full. Suck the marrow out of today, every part of it, because it's never coming back. And when that plate goes back to the kitchen, what was on that plate is not coming back on tomorrow's plate. Live today. we so sometimes worried about tomorrow. We don't live today in its fullness. We're so afraid of what will happen tomorrow that we forget to trust God today. And then tomorrow comes and we do the cycle again. So we never get to the place where we're truly living fully in our day, trusting God today. Because we're always worried about tomorrow. That's what he's saying here in elementary form. When you wake up tomorrow morning, it's a public holiday. I think everyone's off. I don't know if some people are working. You have an opportunity to say today is the day that the Lord has made. And I'm going to live it to the full. I'm going to count every second and use it as best I know how. And a good sleep is part of that." And a good meal is part of that. And good fellowship with friends and family is part of that. All, it's all part of that. But you're living it with the fullness. I'm going to live God life today. And when I'm with someone, I'm going to be present to them. When I'm with my wife or my husband, I'm going to be present with them. When I'm with my kids, I'm going to be present with them. When I take time to rest, and recreate, I'm going to be present with that. When I'm praying, I'm going to be present with God. I'm going to put this thing away. And I'm not going to be worried. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be enjoying this day. That's what Jesus is saying. Because in that, we we'll become so aware of who we are in God. And learn to trust Him. That we won't go into the next chapter which says, don't judge. It's amazing that follows. Because when you lose sight and you stop looking at the activity of God and you stop seeking the kingdom of God, you have to start looking at others and comparing and judging. And then we start saying, whoa, look at Betsy. Well, she's my neighbor and she says she prays, but I've been looking over the fence. I don't ever see her praying. Whatever. No, I'm, I'm looking, and, but I should be looking at myself. While I'm looking over the fence, I should be praying. When we have our eyes, he said, if the eyes are the window to the, the soul, if your eyes are light and bright, your whole body is full of light. What you look at, when you look to the kingdom, when you look to Jesus, when you look to his activity, your whole world will be full of light. When your whole world is full of light, it's really hard to judge. Except yourself. But if you stop looking at the goodness of God all around you. You've got to look at yourself. And you've got to look down. And you've got to look at your worries. And you've got to look at your bank account. And you've got to look at your cupboards. And you've got to look at your car. And you've got to look at... And then darkness comes in. And then you start comparing to the other person. Oh, look what they got. Oh, they don't deserve it. Look at their lifestyle. We start judging. I don't think that's what God has for us. I think He wants something very different make sense Let's just go back a little bit in the talk which obviously they, had, they couldn't they had to remember this stuff when you pray pray like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? When you start unpacking, you're seeing this. It's like, no, I want that kingdom to come now in my life. Right now, in my home. In my kingdom. My realm of influence. My kingdom. I want your kingdom to be the value there. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Notice it doesn't say give us tomorrow. Tomorrow. Give us today our daily bread. Now, you've got to understand, when Jesus is saying these words, Jesus is rooted in Jewish history. And there's text. So he's remembering God providing the manna every day. And if they took too much, what happened? It spoiled. went rotten. Except for the day before the Sabbath, they could connect two days. And as we said last week, the word manna in Hebrew means, what is it? What? That's what the word means, actually. They didn't know what it was. What is it? Manna. That's what the word means. Give us this day out. Forgive us our debts today. As we forgive our debtors today. Lead us not into temptation or into the place of testing. This is not Jesus leading. God's going to lead you to go be tempted by whatever. Into this place. Help us not to be tested. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the place of temptation, of testing. So that happens. But... If you can, lead us not into that. Deliver us from evil. We, we, we want to live whole. But this is a daily prayer. If you pray this, you're starting to turn your face towards the light, the shining one, as we said last week, rather than shining things. And your whole body will be full of light. That last bit from Matthew 6 where it says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. This is how the message puts it, good old Eugene Peterson. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So right? And if you think about anxiety and fear, think of where it's coming from. We're worrying about things that sometimes we shouldn't be worrying about, rather than just trusting God. Now, I'm going to read one text, in, two texts just in closing, but this point. If you try to do this by yourself, it's going to be really, really hard. You need others around you, so that when you feel weak, and you feel your eyes going to shiny things and off the shining one, someone can give you a smack behind the ear. Say, turn your head back. Eyes forward, like we did in the military. Sometimes you need an arm around your shoulders to say, it's going to be okay. Because this is not easy. You have to put it into practice. That's, you know, that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The wise persons want to put these things into practice. You have to put it into practice. It's work. Sometimes it gets hard and you've got someone around you who says, okay, you can do it. Keep on. There's someone I know that's dealing with something big in their lives. And every week I have to contact them say, keep it up. You can, you can do this. How's it going? Why? Because the person wants to be successful. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight. That Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You've got to go on sometime and think through that and just unpack what all that means. I mean, it's glorious. But you've got to go unpack it. We read it. Oh, well, no, go think it's through. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will, will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, yet one more, once more I will shake not only the, the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. What is it saying? If your eyes are on the shiny things... A shaking will come and they will become dull and disappear. And you'll, you won't have anything to look at. Huh? Turn your eyes to the shining one. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving the kingdom that... What does it say? Say, it cannot be shaken. Say with me, a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Your kingdom can be shaken. The kingdom of darkness is definitely going to be shaken. But the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God, cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Summary. Put your eyes on the shining one. Receive his life, his kingdom, his rule, his activity into your life. Because it's not going to be shaken. That's the acceptable worship in fear and reverence. The end of Revelation says this. Come, the Spirit and the church say. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's our prayer. Come. Come, your kingdom, come. When, the king, when you talk about the kingdom, come. We can't have a kingdom without a king. So we're saying, Jesus, come. Come. Fill my life. Be present here with me. Right here. With me. I'm with you, he said, till the very end of the age. You'll do what I'm asking. I'm here. Would you put it into practice? Would you give it a try? Would you make a right turn? Would you think about the way that you're thinking about things and say, God, am I thinking rightly or am I thinking wrongly? How are you transformed by the what? Renewing of your minds. How does that happen? It's another, that's a whole nother series, but you've got to think about things.